Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everybody. I'm Dr. Andrew Sheehan from the San Antonio Military Medical Center. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Dr. Mark Miller from the University of Virginia. Dr. Miller's paper entitled Associated Morbidity After Percutaneous Release of the Medial Collateral Ligament for Knee Arthroscopy was just published online as an article in press and can be accessed at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. For those of you that don't know, Dr. Miller is one of the founding fathers of modern sports medicine in the Air Force. So it's great to get a chance to talk to him today. He trained back here in San Antonio uh, many moons ago and then subsequently completed his sports medicine fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh. Incidentally, for those of you that don't know, Dr. Miller has always been a man of high fashion Commitment has been demonstrated every year during his infamous blazer contest at his annual board review course. And if any of you ever make it up to the Freddie Foo Sports Medicine Complex pit, there's a great picture of Dr. Miller hanging on the wall in the fellows area where he's wearing some not so long bike coaching shorts that demonstrates that his commitment to high fashion isn't new and he's been at it for a long while. So Dr. Miller, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. I'm happy to join you. So to start off, why don't you give our readers an idea of what the impetus was behind uh, you and your partners at the University of Virginia undertaking the systematic review? Well, um, we've tried this clinically. Um, when we've encountered really tight media compartments, uh, as you know, it's frustrating to try to gain access. And so uh, we read here and there about how the idea of doing a pie crusting of the MCL in order to get better access. and uh, it concerned us because some of my partners were very concerned about the potential morbidity, uh, as was I. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that uh, uh, we weren't causing more harm than we were helping ourselves. Were you surprised by the how few studies there were uh, that explored the clinical consequences of pie crossing the MCL? I, I was very surprised. In fact, we, we set off with a young uh, resident to try to uh, capture the literature, and of course, we just assumed that the resident didn't look hard enough. But uh, when we really looked, <laughs> there, there was a quite amazing dearth of evidence out there and not a lot of papers. Yeah, I think it was what? Well, it was six papers, correct? I think that's what you guys ended up it's coming ridiculous. up with. Yeah, right. and, I, and I think that that's the utility of these systematic reviews is it, it gives you an opportunity to get I think a really good sense of what's out there as it pertains to a particular topic. And so while, you know, if you do a systematic review and, and you find that there aren't that many studies out, um, that's one finding. And then, you know, hopefully, or I think in many circumstances that then serves as a springboard or, you know, kickstarts, you know, something more, you know, robust or ambitious, whether it be a prospective study or going back and look retrospectively. Stay tuned. So moving on. Why did you guys elect to include a cadaveric study in your review? Was it just that there were so few clinically relevant studies? Right. There's just nothing out there. And so we wanted to make sure we covered uh, anything that was published on it so that we could give a thorough review. Uh, and again, it was disappointing how little there was, but it's there. But um, the cadaveric uh, review helped a little bit because it, it quantified the amount of displacement, at least in a cadaveric model. Sure. So... Why don't you summarize for our listeners the two or three main take-home points from your paper? Sure. Um, the bottom line is that even though the papers were very diverse in the times that they followed up and in the technique they used, the overall consensus is you can do an MCL percutaneous release 
to gain access to the media compartment with very minimal morbidity, especially long-term. The missing question remains, how much can you open it? How much do you need to open it? And does it heal up and when? I see. And when you guys were going back and looking through the six studies, was there a fair amount of uniformity from paper to paper in terms of the surgical technique that was used in order no, to it was trephinate totally the MCO? Diverse. Yeah, totally mm. diverse. Some people did a distal, some people did a proximal, some people did it at the joint line. So it was quite uh, 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 unsystematic, un, un, uh, uh, a lot of variety. And then how about for the way that the in the clinical studies, the way that the patients that, that had the pie crusting of the MCL, how was their post-operative rehabilitation regimen affected? Or was it at all or was it not described? Yeah, again, there's a large uh, uh, diversity there, too. Some people put them in braces. Some people didn't. Uh, some people put them on crutches. And so there was a, a lot of uh, variability, uh, which leads to, you know, further study, of course, as we, as we alluded to. Talk to me about what your threshold is for pie crusting the MCL. Is it something that you're reluctant to do, or is it something that you have a very low threshold to do if you're struggling? As a result of our ongoing studies, we're becoming less and less reticent to do it. Uh, and, and the technique uh, is reproducible, uh, and uh, it turns out there's, there's, there's less morbidity than one would think. And so um, the indications are, when you get in the apartment and you're working with a resident and you're worried that they're going to ding, ding the cartilage, you do it. And so it's pretty routine, actually. We all know how tight that Understood. media compartment can be sometimes. And it's remarkable how yeah. much you can open it when you, when you do a percutaneous release. Are there certain types of case in, cases or patients that, that you're thinking you may have to do it? You go into the case, you're talking to your residents and pre-op planning, you're saying, okay, we're going to have to, we're going to have to pie crust this MCL. Root repairs. Yeah, it's, it's almost uh, mandatory for root repairs. It's very difficult to get back there with a suture passing device without this technique. And so it's, very helpful for root repairs, but it's also equally helpful for a lot of complex meniscus tears in older patients. So it's it's universal in its application, and uh, it's it's uh, it gives you tremendous access. We see a lot of uh, uh, individuals where we look at the pathology first, and the residents are convinced that there's no meniscus tear, and so we do the pipe resting, and, and it becomes immediately obvious exactly what the pathology is and, it, and how extensive it is. So talk to me now about how exactly you do this. You mentioned earlier that there were there's different techniques to do it as was described in some of the papers. Do you release it or do you do you go after the femoral side? Do you go after the tibial side? And then how do you manage these people postoperatively? Right. Well this is based upon the MCL itself. And so we all know that distal MCL tears don't heal as well as proximal tears. Uh, therefore we chose to go more proximal. And therefore about five to 10 millimeters above the medial joint line uh, uh, in the posterior half of the MCL, very close to where the POL will be converging with it, is where we focus on doing the release. We take an 18-gauge needle, uh, just use typically one poke hole, and just direct the needle uh, uh, in several different directions uh, as if you're doing a barbitage of the MCL, all at the same level. With a constant valvic force on, the knee will sometimes right away and sometimes after a longer period literally pop or at least 
markedly open, all in kind of, it's usually a pretty dramatic uh, fashion. In fact, the people in the room are aghast at how uh, remarkable and how audible sometimes the pop is. And then it gives you tremendous access immediately after that. And then do you brace these patients afterwards? What do you, what do you tell them? Do you, do you alter yeah, your rehab well, regimen um, at all? We, initially, we, initially, we did brace them with the, with the hinged brace. But we have found that you uh, get equal results without any bracing. So it, it's treated exactly the same as any other uh, meniscus case. Well, Dr. Miller, I really appreciate you taking the time this afternoon to, to talk to me and, and to help flesh out a little bit more about what has and really what hasn't been written about this technique. And, and I'm really excited. It sounds like you guys have some things coming down the pipe. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Yeah, we're excited we stumbled on this, and uh, please stay tuned because we have some more to offer either on the podium or in the press or both. So we'll have more to come. Outstanding. Well, that's going to do it for this podcast. Dr. Miller's paper entitled Associated Morbidity After Percutaneous Release of the Medial Collateral Ligament for Knee Arthroscopy was just published online as an article in press and can, can currently be accessed at www.arthroscopyjournal.com.